0: For pressing play on the Real Time 3D in Education podcast, my name is Mike Washburn. Our guest this week is a man after my own heart. Um, Not only is he from where I'm from in Ontario, Canada, uh, but he's doing a lot of the things that I wish I had done when I was in the classroom, uh, which makes him an awesome person to talk to and to. I'll admit, maybe live a little vicariously through uh, when you hear about the amazing work that Jim Pedrick is doing in his class. He shares his background on, you know, why he wanted to get involved in this and about some of the work he's doing um, in history in particular. And I love talking about technology and using it in education to teach history. I think there's a great story to tell with almost every teacher that uses technology to teach history about how those two seemingly polarized kind of ideas just come together sometimes so perfectly and so beautifully for absolutely incredible results i talked to jim about his growth and learning and development as an educator passionate about using 3d tools and um i think you'll really love this conversation with an inspiring exciting really innovative educator so when we come back jim petrick i think the first place to get started Uh, on on uh, our conversation is just to share a little bit of your background how you became interested in real-time 3d what what you do and and how you do it and how that all kind of like mixes together into this perfect storm of awesomeness oh thanks
1: man yeah so I, I feel like a lot of people might have a similar sort of experience where you had interest when you were young that you thought would just remain hobbies and never become something related to your career i suppose so uh i always loved history and english so those are my teachable subjects Uh, but i've always loved fantasy and i have loved sci-fi and i've loved video games Uh, i remember commodore 64s i remember the christmas i got one it was pretty exciting Uh, I play various consoles and I've always video games have always kind of been around There's a period in my early teens where I wasn't playing them, but for the I was still into fantasy and all that stuff Um, and so when I um, Became a teacher. I, I really wanted to Think about how video games could be used in a classroom because you know once you fall in love with the medium you see the potential yeah. and you want to see that potential realized in classrooms, right? So um, I started by um, trying to design in VRML, which is a very old language that was incredibly simplistic and allowed me to put, like I was trying, I, I still remember trying to design a town thinking like, okay, every every, uh, building will have just four polygons, right? So there'll be one on each of the four sides and I won't put a roof or a ceiling cause that will save me a lot of memory. You know, like, that's the sort of thing you had to worry about at that sure. time. Right. Uh, and then, um, I, 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 moved on to flash for a while, okay. uh, and tried to create some interactive, active experiences with that. And it, I think things really took off when I tried to get students involved in that process too. So we made a few, um, Flash games together where I would take care of the programming and the design, and they would um, do the research or play the characters. There was one super cool year where um, a colleague of mine, uh, his brother is a, an actor who regularly is plays in Stratford, and he's actually done some video game voiceover. And he came in and did video. Uh, he did a voiceover lesson with my students to kind of show them the ropes right like in in 45 minutes how to do that so that's kind of how it all started it's it's this hobby this love that just kind of seeped into into my classroom i suppose
0: talk a little bit about the difference in perception from when um (laughs) you know the teachers are 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 just kind of showing kids how to do this stuff and then the kids are actually doing it and that that I, I, I think because I've experienced a bit of this myself in the classroom, the difference between kids that are consuming, you know, media and creating media and games and giving them the opportunity to be the creator that 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 yeah. it, it flips a switch, right? It
1: totally does. Uh, it, it's it's a very time consuming flip switch to flip yeah. like it it, it it takes a lot of time, but. Um, when it works, it's just magic, right? Like you see students engaged in this process, you see them take ownership of, you see it matter to them, mm-hmm. and you could see, you could have conversations with them that tells you how much time they've spent thinking about this thing, right? And so an example that has nothing to do with video games happened actually at the end of this year, All right? This really great grade 10 English class. We were um, going to be done things the the official sort of things really early mm. right so we had a chunk of time and so I pitched like well you're all into Star Wars there are there are connections between Star Wars and Macbeth what if we do um, a Star Wars version of Macbeth as a video and so you know we talk about who's going to do what roles it turned into being more of a um, a trailer than a full movie production because we didn't have that kind of time but just seeing the kids get so excited about the roles and how they can make things happen and how they could use the space in the school creatively and how they can do special effects. And I still remember our director one day talking about her vision. It's like, that, that that's great, right? I mean, so, so I, I think that's where, like you said, once you flip that switch, so many exciting things can happen, right?
0: Yeah. And so, so speaking of magical projects, and and I'm a history major. We know this about each other. And I'm a yeah. I'm a gamer, and and, and yeah. you know a pretty big um, fan of history games. Even, and um, mm-hmm. I I I gotta say, you know, I am constantly blown away by the scanning history project. So oh, I I love for you to tell the audience a little bit about it, um, where you got the inspiration and. And what you're what you're seeing happen in in this project?
1: Awesome, thank you. Yeah, it's it's it, we've been involved with it for a while, uh, but it's really starting to, to flow nicely. So basically, um, a couple of years ago, a colleague of mine named Tammy Denemy, who's a teacher on our board, an Indigenous lead. Uh, I think she sent me an app someone had sent her, done by the BBC, and it was this. It was an early form of AR where they had where you could place um, eight to ten objects like the Rosetta stone from the British museum in your room using your phone. And it it, it was so interesting the way she phrased the email, because I, I, I don't know if the scanning history project would have started if she had phrased it differently. She said something like, it's too bad. We can't do that. And I'm like, that sounds challenge like a challenge.
0: Accepted.
1: Accept, exactly. challenge <laughs> So I'm like, like at that point, I had no idea how it was, how any of that was done and i i was pretty sure that the ar would be beyond me but like that the models themselves i've worked enough with the video game design that i had a concept of what a 3d model was and so it turned out the concept of making the models i mean it certainly is a skill and an art but it's not necessarily hard so uh the technique used most frequently is called photogrammetry it's basically the process of taking a whole bunch of pictures of an object Uh, filtering them through the correct program that kind of spits out or creates a 3d model that you could use in video games or all sorts of platforms and so once I figured that out we started to um, we started to work with museums uh, to scan their artifacts we uh, I worked with a local indigenous school called um, Standing Stone Elementary of the United Nation and worked with their students to actually scan some of the artifacts they had at the school as well uh, and uh, we just started work with various museums to to make this happen. Um, some of the high points included: we um, we went to the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto, and four engineers from my uh, from um, Microsoft uh, Vancouver, then two sorry two from Vancouver and then two from Microsoft Redmond uh, flew out to work with my students directly. That's amazing. That that's that's wild, right? Um, and and so what we've been doing with this content is trying to build a 3d museum that you can download for an early version from my website for free and then um keep adding things to it and hopefully we'll get to a point where other schools and other places in the world contribute to this museum as well
0: and and what are you seeing in terms of students understanding of you know the artifacts and the, the history, like the yeah. the actual like learning outcomes still kind of have to be achieved. You're you're totally. you're an you're a an elementary or you're a, sorry. Second, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase that. So yeah. You're a school teacher and you have to hit certain objectives as a as a public yeah. education school teacher. Um, so yeah. this has to do that. So how are you sure. seeing that end up accomplished?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So. It's actually a perfect, it's a, it's a perfect crossover because at least the curriculum in Ontario, and I, I think it's becoming more more common in North America, history classes are supposed to focus on primary sources, right, and primary sources, when you work with primary sources, you have to investigate those sources, you have to look at them in detail, you have to examine them, you have to think about the, uh, the historical context of those sources. That's exactly the sort of work we're doing. Like we're taking, all these photos, the kids see all sorts of things on the object and they pay careful attention to those objects, right? Um, they also learn a lot of job related skills, which is an important part of our curriculum as well. Uh, this this photo, the, even the being familiar with photogrammetry puts these kids in a different bracket. Um, actually, one of our graduates is now working He attends Fanshawe college in London. And he worked on the restoration project of the Holy Roller, which is this famous World War II tank that sits in Victoria Park in London, Ontario. Mm -hmm. And he was responsible, he and his team were responsible for 3D scanning the inside of that, right? So there's a direct through link, right? And I believe his goal is to go into video production and maybe video game design, right? So there's a clear link there. Um, We also, when we worked with museums, um, the museums. And this is super cool, actually let students handle the objects. There was one local museum, the Strathroy Caradoc Museum, that during the pandemic sent boxes of stuff to my school, boxes of artifacts in the museum to my school for my students to handle a photograph without a museum curator present. And they taught the kids how to handle the objects um, through a Zoom call. So say, Tom, how put on the white gloves and how you all support the object with one hand to the side and one hand underneath. And think about th- those those students have now had a rudimentary level training in museum curation from an actual museum curator, right? Yeah. So in terms of job preparation and related skills, um, I think there's lots of lots of connections there.
0: And so let's talk about that for just a second. Yeah. Um i can draw a line for me personally from video games to teaching to doing what i'm doing now i can i can click, oh, totally. and i can articulate that yeah. actually i i do articulate that um all the time to people what mm. are you talking about when so you just talked about a student who was directly influenced by some of the this work and so mm-hmm. what are you telling your students about the future of you know of careers or opportunities that directly involve the things that they're doing in their high school history class
1: totally and so i think a few things occurred to me as you asked that question one of them being that i'm going to guess in your case mike your ability to draw that through line is almost after the fact right you look back yeah and you no, draw forward right yeah yeah, like I would when you're never, younger, I would
0: never have yeah, thought that I I totally. was doing would playing Civilization 2 in my my parents' basement in my house. I never would have thought I'd be in education, you know, doing Minecraft and and Epic Games and Unreal Engine. All that stuff, stuff. right? Yeah, never.
1: Yeah, and Sid Meyer, if you're listening, we're interested too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that would be great. Um, but yeah, the uh, so, so I I think with the students, I try and maintain a balance between the job preparation and just the engagement in the sense that um, obviously we want students to be aware of the connections to potential fields, but I also want it to be good education for education's sake, for the sake of learning, right? So um, certainly I'll say, you know, this is a growing field. Uh, If you find it interesting, that this is certainly a great career path for you if you like history. Um, I also mentioned the fact that you don't necessarily have to go into history to use this. It's connected to um, this kind of technology is used in medicine and geography and civil engineering and all sorts of different disciplines, uh, even just commerce, right? The ability to have 3D models of, of objects and shoes that might be sold online. Um, these are all possible career paths for someone who has at least a, an introductory level understanding of what photogrammetry is and what that process is, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think balancing those two things... Is, is so and, and trying to respond to the students too, like if the students say, well, yeah, you know, I really want to go into video game design. Well, you know, h- how do you think backgrounds are made? Right? I mean, the technique we're using here is essentially the same technique that uh, Quixel uses to make those incredible mega scans. It's just they're using much more powerful hardware to, to do that. Sure.
0: So switching gears for a second now. Um, there's going to be a lot of people listening to these podcast episodes that are, are feeling overwhelmed, uh, are feeling mm-hmm. um, like this is this is something new that they don't want to let them pass by. And, and I, I think that you and I both are um, pretty passionate about continuous education. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems to me that you take very seriously your own growth as an educator in terms of this i i think i constantly see you on twitter not just sharing about the projects that you're doing with your students but sharing a lot about what you're learning and Mm. your experiments and your failures and your successes (laughs) so talk about that for a little bit talk about your experience learning this and kind of maybe a little bit learning as you go
1: yeah totally um yeah so i it's serious is to some extent because it does matter but i think it's also an excitement and a genuine desire to create things too where uh i like to learn new things right and i'm going to guess if you got into education there's there's something about the process of learning that excites you sure you hope, hope so. right yeah i hope so um so yeah the unreal accelerator um was an incredible is an incredible way to learn um, usually they be over four or five days either in sequence or in a row or spread out over a couple of weeks um, usually if I, need, I I think the Unreal Engine because of its sheer power and, and capability can be a little intimidating for people I totally totally get that um, even for someone like me who has a little bit of self-taught game design, I don't really call it knowledge; call it just awareness. It can be an intimidating piece of software, mm-hmm. right? But it's also possible to learn how to do so much so easily. In the sense that it's not like you don't have to know the whole program. I I, I don't think you're ever going to meet anyone who uses every aspect of that of that program because it does so many things, right? It's it's used in video production, The Mandalorian. It's used in video game design. It's used in uh, in to do simulations in the military and in medicine and all sorts of fields, so you tend to find people who um, specialize in one thing. and, and Ian Southwall's is is a great example of that, right? Like he started out as a essentially as a graphic design artist, right, who has learned uh, a great deal about the programming, and, and now is an excellent teacher who can um, communicate so much and teach so much about that uh, about the the blueprints the mechanics of, of of that tool but he still has gaps right he doesn't know everything right uh so I think for anyone who is thinking about um the unreal accelerator you need to understand that with the unreal engine it can be intimidating but it's super powerful and if you focus on what you want to accomplish that thing is possible Um, I would also suggest twin motion is an incredible place to start. Like if you have no design experience and you've done no work in 3d, I think twin motion is the way to go. Like just to understand some of the basics, the menu is so simple. And I actually like the way I think about twin motion is I think it invites play, right? Like you, you you want to drag, drop, you want to drag, things in you you oh. want to experiment with the bars like i still i love going to the weather settings and and changing it from snow to rain yeah. to a sunny day just by moving that that slider and it, it's 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 always amazing to watch teachers with no experience in 3d create something really visually striking after just a week of learning how to use this thing right
0: the I, I, as someone that does professional learning for a living at this point in my career, I love the moment I always cherished in the classroom, the moment when it, when a student went from not knowing to knowing that moment where, where you realize that they got it and they light up and adults, it doesn't change we were we were we sat in that accelerator together at ISTE a couple months ago and you could watch it may not have happened right away and it and it happened to different places for different people but watching people's Mm. faces change from that moment of not knowing to that moment of knowing something and feeling like hey i can do this is amazing that that's like one of the coolest things and and you get to help deliver some of that experience now right
1: yeah and and that's amazing and and i'm a big fan of um i think this very much connects to what you're saying pd should always give you that right like the you should leave professional development either understanding something better or having something you want to explore something you're passionate about right and so, one of the things I like to do in the accelerator is I, I like to make sure I try and figure out why everyone signed up in the first place, like well, what brought brought you here, and then start thinking, okay, so how can I make sure you go off in a direction that's interesting to you? Yeah. Right. How can I, you know, um, so the, the last accelerator I worked on, the the range of ability and background was all over the place. We had some people who had taught Unreal for years. Uh, and we had some people who were new to everything. And then my goal was simply to help those people find something of use that would propel them forward. Right. And so one of the examples we can't, that really struck me, I was working with a prof, um, I can't remember if it's U of T or I think it's U of T, uh, from the architectural department. And he was actually signing, he signed up looking for a visualization tool that he could use easily with the students. And so Twinmotion's a perfect fit, but then we, we wanted to create, he really wanted to create a feedback loop. He's like, okay, so we take these presentations and we show them to people and we have to wait for the email back. How, how do we actually create something that um, creates flow? And so we actually came up with the idea of embedding QR codes in the Twinmotion build yeah. as a texture yeah. That, that someone could scan with their phone that would take them directly to a um, directly to a form that they could give feedback on. Right? And so now what he was doing, he's he and his students are working on building one Twinmotion world with three different potential builds, each with textual descriptions in the notes and then a QR code for each, so that the the city planners can just like click on each one, scan each one, and then give the feedback on that particular build. But that sort of thing is is super exciting to me
0: it's awesome so we like to talk about the future um yeah and and i think that uh, uh you know for folks that are probably listening to this they're thinking a lot about the future so uh i'd like to get you to think about the future a little bit and where, sure. where do you see um two things where do you where do you see the pathway leading for interactive 3d for your students and? and kind of their future in this? And then where do you see your journey taking you, um, you know, over the next few years uh, doing doing this work?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I, I guess on one level, I, I would love to, I think we're almost there in some, some sectors. I would like to see 3D storytelling mm. treated with the same respect that every other kind of storytelling is. And, and we're seeing pockets of that i think there's there's an open there there's a greater openness to what art is uh generally than there may have been like 10 years ago perfect example that i can think of it's actually from the world of music but um i was reading an article in the new york times about a uh, a few rappers and how they actually construct their verses and one the writer of the article actually. Did a, a deep analysis at one point, one paragraph of how one writer was using the same technique that was used to write Beowulf in terms of the structure, like that. That sort of willingness to see that, I think, is new, right? To think about hip hop for to have a mainstream writer think about hip hop in that sort of way, I think, is kind of new. And I think that also applies to video games, where we see some we see some stories and narratives getting that kind of respect. So I'm hoping that that will continue it and, and as soon as those kind of narratives are treated with that sort of respect i think video games will become a bigger part of classrooms in all sorts of ways and that includes the narratives i think you and i have talked about how something like gone home should be arguably in every class i mean that thing is a masterpiece right it's
0: a masterpiece
1: uh but but also once once we had, we see the art and those things we have to have spaces for students to try and experiment with their own version of that art right Mm -hmm. so uh video game design classes would be something i think would make sense but also i I love to see this kind of technology embedded in courses in the same way that we are trying to do with the scanning history project so that you see in a science class students are actually using this kind of technology to do say physics simulations or uh, bringing in models to um, to um, replicate some kind of cellular structure and that sort of thing. I, I think that sort of application is good, not only for um, future uh, employment, but also just a better understanding of, of, of the world itself, right? Um, if, if, if NASA and other uh, major organizations are using this kind of technology to do simulations, they're probably onto something. We should probably run with that. We should, we right?
0: should. We should yeah, run with I think, that. Yeah. Uh, Jim, where can people go to connect with you online? Uh, where can where do you want to send them to learn more about you and your work?
1: Okay. Uh, so, finding me on Twitter is probably the best bet. So, Jay at uh, on, on Twitter, uh, all one word. And then uh, my website is just padrek.ca. And that is uh, where you can find all sorts of free stuff that I put up there, uh, including twin motion builds uh, and a few other video game projects. Those are probably your two best bets. And uh, I'm always looking to collaborate, so if you're if that interests you, please let me
0: know. Jim Patrick, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.